Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm your guest host, Elise Hugh. I'm It's Been a Minute senior producer Barton Girdwood. Hi, Elise. Hey there. When I say all the things she said running through my head, what does that make you think? That makes me think of the earworm from when I started college. <laughs> well, I was 11. <laughs> so that reveals something about both of us. Womp womp. Uh-huh. Twenty years ago this week, the Russian pop duo Tattoo released their smash single, All the Things She Said. And there's two things that make this song memorable. There is the song itself. It's super catchy. It's super fun. It's a bop. Super catchy. And then there's The Kiss. Now a band called Tattoo. These girly girls are making a mark, and it's really not all about their music. Take two sweet Young girls from Moscow, dress them in schoolgirl outfits, soak them down with water, then have them kiss passionately. And what do you get? Try number one album in 10 countries and a top 20 hit in America. Welcome to the 21st century. So in the music video, the lead singers Lena Katina and Julia Vokova famously make out. We like to kiss each other. This was a big deal in the early 2000s. Are you together? Are you girlfriend and girlfriend? Do you have boyfriends too? Is it important for you? Have you boyfriends? No. Wait. Because I don't. I'm asking, you just asked me, I gave you the answer. Do you not want to answer that question? The song went to number one for four weeks in the UK. It went to number one in 13 different countries. In the US, the song was inescapable on MTV's TRL. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know at this point which is the bigger part of the story, the making out of this song, because the two got so tangled up with one another. They made out on TRL. They made out live on Mad TV. They made out on Jimmy Kimmel. And, like, I think it's important to note that this all was happening months before Britney Spears and Madonna famously made out on MTV. Yes, and then that was super controversial, too. Lots of girl-on-girl kissing in 2003. (laughs) Not sure what was going on. (laughs) But the song, the kiss, the whole lesbian narrative was one big package that made Tattoo this global phenomena. And from my own personal experience, I can say that if you put this song on at a queer dance party today, the girlies will go wild. So Elise, if you don't mind, I'd like to take over the show today to talk about the song, why it resonated so deeply with queer people at the time, and what happens when your first taste of your sexuality is based on a lie. Okay. I'm here with the queen of lesbian Twitter, Jill Gutowitz. Jill, I'll ask you what I asked Elise. What runs through your head when I say all the things she said running through my head? Oh my gosh, lesbian secrecy. Um. (laughs) (laughs) You've recently released your first memoir called Girls Can Kiss Now. So I hope you're kissing now. I am. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 
<laughs> and in it, you write, all of the wistfulness of staring out of a car window, that yearning for something, anything to whisk you away from your sad, dull life, that's lesbianism. Why is that lesbianism? I think so much of lesbianism is yearning for another person that you can't necessarily like say it out loud. Obviously these days that's different, but like when I was growing up, that definitely was the case. And so I feel like even if the experience isn't explicitly queer, that the experience of looking out a window wistfully and feeling like, God, I'm just <laughs> I'm so angsty. Like, I, I feel like I'm in an Avril Lavigne music video. Like, you know, like ju just that feeling of wanting something that isn't there is like a very boiled down version of like what it felt like to grow up as a like closeted lesbian teen. <laughs> I can picture you sitting in the passenger seat of the car, staring out the window, your eyes just like off into the yeah. distance. <laughs> just like watching one <laughs> droplet of rain crawl down the window, and I'm just like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to play a little game with you. Um, we know the Bechdel test um, for, you know, yeah, yeah. you know the Bechdel test. So if we take that idea, I think we have a framework for the Gudewitz test. Okay. <laughs> for knowing if something is lesbian enough, <laughs> does it yearn enough? Um, wow. And I want to see if all the things she said passes that test off the bat do you think it does yes <laughs> <laughs> okay okay well let's test out some lyrics first to make sure i keep closing my eyes but i can't block you out want to fly to a place where it's just you and me nobody else so we can be free that is it that is that's everything i just said in a like jumbled dumb idiot way is a poetic way of saying i'm looking out the window wistfully and wishing i was with a woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course it passes. It's so funny to me that, like, part of the experience of being gay at this point of time was so much about, like, what other people are thinking and, and what, you know, what they think when they're watching you. Because it was just very, mm -hmm. like, I'm being watched. Um, yeah, of course, that passes. <laughs> it, it's lesbian enough. <sighs> Okay, um, so let's talk about the music video. Uh, we have to say that it's like this weird matrix green filter over the whole thing, which I guess is just part of the early 2000s. Yes. They're in schoolgirl uniforms. I think we can all think of other schoolgirl uniforms at the time. Britney Spears. <laughs> um, it's pouring rain. They're grabbing and hanging on iron fences. There's the are they kiss or are they not going to kiss? There's something about... <laughs> The early 2000s, there was a filter over it. Like, it, it looks like the movie 13 or, like, White Oleander. Important lesbian classics. Exactly. Like, all these, like, I don't know, films. I'll, I'll, I'll include all the things she said music video as a film um, <laughs> that are, like, about, like, girls being bad that have this exact same look to them. <laughs> I love it. So, um, I have some bad news for you. Oh, no. <laughs> they weren't actually lesbians. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am going to tell you the origin story of the song, which do you, do you know the origin story of the song? I do a little bit, but I really need a refresher. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I talked to author Daisy Jones, who in her book, All the Things She Said, wrote about the origin story. I should preface this, is that this is a rumor, and it's like stuff I've just like pieced together from what I've heard online. 
It's a love story, sort of, because songwriter Elena Kuyper and music producer Ivan Shapovalov were in love. They were working on forming a new pop group fronted by two teenage girls. And in that process, Elena went to the dentist. She was having dental surgery and was on some strong medication, as you get when you go to the dentist. And um, had a dream that she was kissing another woman. Oh, my God. And she woke up saying, like, I've lost my mind. Yes, She went home to her business partner. Ivan Shapovalov, who was also her boyfriend. And they apparently um, added to the narrative and turned it into a song. She wrote all the things she said based on a drug dream. That is so funny. It's like, no, 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 I'm not gay. I was on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're digging into Tattoo's big lie and why that lie changes and doesn't change how this song has been remembered. So Lena, Katina, and Julia Volkova were picked to sing this song by the producer and the the writer. Um, They were packaged as lesbians from the very outset. Like, that's how they were cast. But it wasn't until December 2003, in a documentary that aired on Russian television, that it was revealed the two of them were not actually lesbians, that it was all an act. (laughs) Does that change anything about the song? It's so hard to grapple with because I think, like, it does change everything. It means it's, like, completely inauthentic and, like, openly problematic, but... How so? How is it problematic? I mean, it feels like, you know, they're, like, trying on an identity and selling it. So it's like they're profiting off of something that at the time was, like, heavily policed. Yeah. But I... I, Here's my, my newest contentious opinion that, like... Obviously, it would have been better for them to be queer and for it to have been authentic. But like I said, like the music video isn't hypersexual and it isn't super exploitative of like women's bodies. Um, There is something about it where it's like, I don't know how many music videos were there at the time that depicted um, like an emotional, like an actual emotional love story between two women. And the answer is like none. Uh, None that were on the radio like that. So it's like, I don't know, there's good and evil in it, you know? Around that time period, there was also Christina Aguilera's uh, Beautiful. Um, And Do you you remember that music video where uh, you are beautiful? And it's all (laughs) these different people that would be considered outcasts. um, Right. And one of them is these two men on a park bench. And I think it might be raining. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's always raining. It's always pouring Uh, on gay people. (laughs) Even if you, like, made it up, like, it feels like it was raining in that video. It it feels like it was raining. Um, But they're kissing. And that was the very first time for me as a 11, 12-year-old to see two men kiss. And I remember that feeling of, like, my stomach sinking and being like, oh, my God, what is this? Yeah. Um, And that simultaneous, like inability to look away but so scared of what you're looking at because you just never seen something like it before and it means so much to you um i was thinking about it and i was like i've never gone to see if those were just two actors that they put on a park bench and made out but what does stick with me is not who they were but what i felt when i saw that well i mean like you know as you were talking about it like i'm thinking like i think intention is important you know like I think Christina Aguilera's intention there was to show that, like, more than just 
you know, straight white cis people are beautiful. If they weren't really like queer people in real life, like obviously could have done better with that. Um, you know, but I'm also thinking about like the, all the things she said, music video, it's like, it does feel like the intention behind it was overwhelmingly positive and to show love between two women as being like something real that exists. It's, I mean, it's also like in the music video, there's like all those people standing on the other side of the fence under umbrellas, judging them. All black with angry looks on their faces. True. Like funeral procession. Um, Yeah. It does kind of feel like the perspective of the music video is that the people that are judging are wrong. So it, it's like, it, it does feel like the intention behind all the things she said was mostly positive, uh, at least tipping positive. Yeah. To take it a step further, um, the two singers, Lena and Julia, have both made homophobic statements since. Great. <laughs> for example, when asked if she would condemn her son for being gay, Julia responded, yes, I would condemn him because I believe that a real man must be a real man. A man has no right to be a fag. Uh, which <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> Does that make you think differently about the song? It does. It does. I like how you, you teed me up to be like, no, actually, it's good. And then... It's good. <laughs> and then bad. Um, it does. Because, you know, like, you know, there's like the case of like Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl, which, you know, was like a similar where that I think that came out in 2007 or 8. And mm-hmm. at the time, there like wasn't that many songs, if any, that were like a major pop radio hit that were talking about like girls kissing girls. And also, that being said, the lyrics were homophobic and painted queerness as like something to do while your boyfriend's away or while you're drunk or whatever. Like it wasn't like a great depiction of like queerness between women. Um, But like Katy Perry has since like come out and kind of grappled with that publicly and been like, yeah, I regret some of those lyrics. And I don't think that now and, you know, is obviously like a big ally to the queer community. So it's like in some ways is like a forgivable offense. And also as a queer woman, that is a bop and I love it. But to hear that, (laughs) like, you know, there's another version of this where a song similarly comes out about, you know, two women being together that is not made by queer women, <laughs> that then the one of the singers goes on to say, to like truly use a slur <laughs> to describe gay people. That's extremely disappointing. So there is another moment in your book where you write about how as a teenager and young adult, when you still weren't out, that you went from boyfriend to boyfriend and you sum them all up as a live, laugh, love sign that hangs above the kitchen sink. <laughs> LOL. (laughs) And all that time, you're just staring out the window, watching the rain drip down the side, thinking... This is it for me. (laughs) Okay, but wait. Now we're in the year 2022, and you have a girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Do you still have that sense of yearning? Is that still a part of what it feels like for you to be a lesbian today? I I don't know. I mean, like... In, in most ways, no, because like I, I do have a girlfriend. We've been together for three and a half years. And so and we also live together and work out of, you know, work from home and are literally always near each other. I don't know how we could yearn for each other. We see each other all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that like yearning was a big, big, big part of 
my like coming out process and when I first started dating, I was always going after people who were like not really available or yearning for a girl who was like straight and not interested because I think so much of the like media I consumed and like the stories I was watching on like film and TV were about like a lesbian who has feelings for somebody who doesn't have them back or maybe they do and they kiss and then like in Lost and Delirious one of them dies like it just that like there's always this element of you can want the thing and you can maybe even have it for a little bit but it's not forever yeah and I think I had to like actively work to change my course of thinking around it and be like that's not normal or healthy to like live in the yearn and keep yourself at bay basically Hmm. the goal is to find a a healthy and stable relationship with somebody who really likes you back (laughs) yeah and that was like so core to like the narrative of what it meant to be a lesbian and at the turn of the century what it meant to be gay what it meant to be queer yeah um and then like here we are in our 30s, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. looking at a, a younger generation that has more representation, that has more diversity of stories, um, that has representation that's authentic. And I wonder, like, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but do you think that, like, that yearning is something that they experience? I do. You know, I think that, like, we assume that generally we are, like, past all of this stuff. And, like, maybe in, you know, Brooklyn and coastal cities and Los Angeles, like, you know, I do see, like, a lot of people that I know who have kids that are, like, you know, 10, 11, that are, like, identifying as queer or non-binary or, like, whatever. Um, And so there definitely is, like, so much progress and a lot of um, kids and teens who, like, don't experience this kind of, like, repression yearning uh, because people are so much more, like, open and queer and they can just, like, I don't know, meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whoever at school um, and just date, which is crazy. I, like, it literally couldn't be me, couldn't imagine. Um, But I think also we forget that there is, like, mostly people who don't experience that, you know, Um, like, throughout the rest Mm. of the country. I do think that they're, like, still a ton, a ton, a ton of queer kids and teens who experience love and desire through yearning still. We do still have a lot of like film and TV stories that depict lesbianism or any queerness as like a thing that can never fully be. Mm. So yeah, I would say that like a lot of people do experience that for sure. Even though we like feel culturally like we're past it, like we're definitely not. I was in a uh, gym class last week and the instructor was playing a circuit remix of all the things she said (laughs) i felt it i knew it because it would always be a part of me (laughs) that yearning and knowing that it came from a place that was bad but it gave me something (laughs) yeah no it's i literally like (laughs) this sounds insane to say but i mean it wholeheartedly it's like a part of our history you know it's such like a part of you know queer people's history to have not been able to talk like talk about these things as openly as you and i are right now um and so it i don't the yearning is deep in our bones i think we can feel it yeah (laughs) jill thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about all the things you said i really like all the things that you said (laughs) thank you thank you for having me this was a blast Jill Gutowitz is a writer. Her debut collection of essays is called Girls Can Kiss Now. My editors are the fearless Jessica Placek and Jessica Mendoza. 
I'm It's Been a Minute senior producer Barton Girdwood, and this will be the first and last time I hope you ever hear my voice on this podcast. We're back Friday either way. Talk soon, y'all.